Welcome to the What Moves Us podcast. I'm Natalie Reyna, a dancer and mover with a master's degree in clinical psychology and founder of Reyna Movement, an organization that teaches people tools to slow the motion of their lives and reconnect to their bodies. Join me as I talk with ordinary people finding extraordinary healing by connecting to their bodies through different types of movement. My mission is to spread the message that tuning into our body is not only accessible, but key to our mental health and healing journeys. Everybody and welcome back to another episode of What Moves Us. This is your host, Natalie Reyna, and as always, I'm so excited to bring you another story of ordinary people finding extraordinary healing through movement. Today, we have Bruno Barastain, my best friend in the whole world, who is a parkour and acrobatics practitioner, born and raised in San Ramon, California, as a first-generation Peruvian-American. Growing up, Bruno was heavily involved in sports such as soccer and basketball, and eventually fell in love with hip-hop and rapping, which we did not even talk about on this episode at all. Bruno attended UCSB, and after graduating, moved back up to the Bay Area, where he found parkour and acrobatics, which became the focus of his movement practice for the past few years. In addition to movement, Bruno ran his own tutoring company for about five years and recently completed a coding boot camp in order to become a software engineer. Bruno is the recent recipient of a San Ramon 30 Under 30 Award, and after recently moving to Los Angeles in order to pursue his newest passion, clowning, is already expected to receive his first clowny. This episode is filled with lots of philosophy, um, beautiful quotes, and insights from Bruno, so I'm super excited for you all to hear it, and let's get into it! Bruno, welcome to What Moves Us. Thank you. I'm really happy to be doing this. Yay! And I should say that this is the first interview or conversation that I'm having in person. So I'm actually sitting right beside Bruno and that's really exciting. (laughs) (laughs) So um, to get started, as you know, I like to ask my guests if they have a way that they like to ground themselves before they start a movement practice. And Mm -hmm. so um, do you have a, a practice that you like to do? There's a few things that I... So sometimes I don't, I don't, I just start moving sometimes. Um, so one of the, like the typical things I might do if I might smoke some weed and relax and that puts me really in my body. And I just like throw myself into the floor at that point when I show up wherever I'm, wherever I'm at, or you've seen me move throughout the whole, uh, like talking about just, yeah, the, the experience that we had. So this last trip, right. Just moving at any different point and kind of getting out of my head um sometimes that's not the either it's not available or it's not desirable so other things I like to do are I will literally touch the ground I would just like go into a deep squat um and just kind of warm up my body that way kind of shaking like pushing the hips out back and forth or just or standing and just doing kind of like shakes just like kind of like bouncing like moving forward and back just getting energy into my body before I start whatever I'm doing, but sometimes I like to just, or just roll. I'll just like, whatever it is, I, I have all these movement patterns that are kind of ingrained at this point after my, whatever practice I've been doing. And so I'll just start to roll and see where it goes from there. Nice. Yeah. So there's a lot of like, kind of focus on getting into your body or like feeling the ground, like getting in touch with the earth kind of. Yeah. I, I just like to feel it. I just like the uh, the whole idea is to get out of my head mm. as much as possible. Right, right. Yeah. So for anybody that's listening, if any of those call to you, definitely, you know, get in the deep squat, get in, roll around in some grass or yeah. on some concrete, whatever, yeah, <laughs> whatever you have. There's a hundred different ways to roll. Uh, <laughs> you can hold your, 
go into a forward fold and see if you can roll over side to side or you can do a forward parkour roll or what's the one that you do you like kind of in a squat you squeeze your in like a butterfly or a, what do you call right. it, cobbler's pose you squeeze your legs together and then you try to roll in little circles yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah and there's a jackie oh there's a jackie there's a video of jackie and i doing that in yeah. her new apartment once so <laughs> shout out to my girl but um yay well thank you for sharing those and so can you give us a little bit of background like where you grew up kind of like yeah a little bit about you so that we can yeah have your background so background, so both of my parents are Peruvian and they immigrated here. So I was a first generation born in San Ramon in the East Bay. Um, so I grew up there until I went to Santa Barbara where we met, spent four years down there, moved back to Oakland or well, back home for a little bit, then Berkeley, Oakland area, and then have been doing a lot more traveling recently um, in terms of, so is it just like demographic background or? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. That that was perfect. Yeah. yeah. Um. And can you? So, what was it like growing up in San Ramon? How was that for you? Uh. So San Ramon always gets voted as one of the best places to raise kids, and which means it's a boring place to be a kid generally. Um. You know, I have nothing to complain about in terms of like I had every opportunity and I was put in every extracurricular, and my mom really packed me full. So, I as a kid, like at a certain age, I was going from karate to swimming to like. I don't know if I was doing math club or chess club to, you know, then doing, having to go home and do homework after that. And I just kind of was always on the move. So I wasn't really playing basketball, soccer. So I had a very full schedule as a kid before I even thought about what it meant to control that schedule or to decide what I wanted to do. Surely like they asked me and I just like, uh-huh. Yeah. And I'd go <laughs> along with whatever. And what was the question again? <laughs> growing up in San yeah, Ramon yeah yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I didn't get like so I didn't get out to the city or even to Oakland or Berkeley that much on my own it was I wouldn't say probably sheltered but it was it was its own bubble mm. and like I I definitely meet a lot of people who during high school or during even earlier would just had more independence in that way and I think um independence I, what do you mean in what way um like, I feel I, one, I didn't have as much permission or I had more parental supervision over a lot of the activities I did up through, or at least until I got to college. Mm. Um, and then that was like a very big change to move to Santa Barbara and be on my own for the first time. Mm. Like I did spend some summers abroad in Peru, like I'd spend three or four weeks at a time there, but I'd still be with family the whole time. And it wasn't until this last trip that I actually got to kind of explore it on my own for the first time. And even then it was still guided a lot with family. Sure, 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 sure. Totally. And so it sounds like movement was always kind of in your world, really, in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that when I was young, but it was just uh, sports is super uh, important to my dad's side of the family. And so let's see, I grew up playing soccer for, I don't know how many, or like I played kind of competitive until like middle school. Um, and then I remember we had a trip where we had to go to San Bernardino from the East Bay. It was like a six hour drive for a weekend of soccer. And I was like, this is too much. This is similarly with basketball. I would, I'd, I'd be playing. So I'd be playing both at, a, at the same time for a while until they got to like, you kind of have to pick one if you want to go deeper into it. And I remember I got I tried out for the basketball team freshman year of high school and 
I made the first round of cuts, but then they told me there was practice every day and I quit. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't want to work that hard. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really think that much about the movement I was doing back then, just that it was always like an important part of like who I was. Right, right. So was there any like type of movement or sport or anything that you did kind of consistently throughout your life? Or it sounds like you were kind of jumping around a bit. It's like I haven't played soccer in a while. Like I've picked up a little bit and that's still a super fun thing to go back to. But similarly, basketball, I've gotten way worse at. At the time, I was so short, but I had handles and I I just, um, yeah, I, I don't know how that well that would have aged even if I did play mm. for the high school team just because my height was pretty limiting. I'm like five, six. Mm. But uh, consistently, like, then the other big one was karate. I did some swimming. I played some bowling, played a little bit of everything, right? Yeah. I bowled too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My brother. You get the little trophies. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the scorecards. Right. And those funky, uh, what do they call them? And they put them on the, oh, the screens. The know. screens, yeah. <laughs> strikes and yeah. whatever. I don't know what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. The, no. the, the, okay. The, like the weird animations. The lucid dream right? animations. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think there's anything that's carried over as much to what I the movement practice I do now okay. it's like I'd love to pick those up again but it's uh breath versus depth thing mm, okay and what so you said that your parents put you into like a lot of extracurriculars mm -hmm. and that they kind of had control over that what why do you think they wanted to do like movement or sports for you well for for my dad definitely he coached um a lot of the teams I played on growing up whether it was mainly soccer mm. um I, I honestly can't my memory going back that far can be kind of blurry but I assume he helped coach with basketball as well I'm pretty yeah I'm pretty sure it's just that's just how bad my memory is um and yeah it's my whole then when I would go to Peru and see my family like that's how that's one of the things we would reunion around right like the big things in in reunion are always like food and then in our case it was sports or some right. kind of you know we play basketball soccer um they play volleyball they play basically just any kind of uh any kind of game you could right. think of right and yeah that so that was always something that he was instilling in me and I think he had hopes that I would play more competitively and he would you know my I had friends who played competitively but I just clearly have never tried that hard to actually pursue that mm. um I just always was having fun like there was one moment in particular I remember where because back before I picked a position before I was like I think the last way I ended off was middle field and um I was like left midfield because I could I'm right footed so I could cut in and shoot that way or like kind of center mid which would cause a ton of cardio and but back when I was younger I would bounce around different positions because that's what you would do and I was playing goalie one day and it was an early game and I was super tired and they like kicked the ball and it's like just goes right between my legs and I probably could have got it but I was just too slow like leaning over and just kind of like yawning through the whole thing oh, yeah. <laughs> and him telling me I had to pick a position as I got older being like why I don't get it mm. um but yeah just this lack of effort in some of those I'm just like I'm just showing up to play around right right and um, okay. I have, I have questions about that, but I want to go back to, because I know that the karate, like starting karate, right. That was like a pretty intentional choice. Uh, yeah. So they put me in karate because I was very shy as a kid. I think I must've been like seven or eight when I started. Um, yeah, they karate emphasized, I guess, like kind of using my voice, like all the, yeah, yeah. And, um, 
this mind over body kind of discipline. I was the smallest kid by far. I was already a small kid, but at the age of seven. And I remember you showed seen videos of me doing the push-ups. It's just like these tiny arms. I just look like I'm bouncing up and down. <laughs> um, I'm not, yeah, that, they put me in that to try to kind of bring me out of my shell. And I think to some extent it must've worked, right? I got around more kids. Uh, I could go on a few tangents, like the sleeping sleepover where I where I slept, slept, walked in the, <laughs> and I woke up and <laughs> oh, I didn't, I didn't wake up. Uh, they told me the next day that I had slept, walk, and I guess they called my parents like, is he okay? And um, I, you know, I never remember when you sleepwalk. That's yeah. that's another type of movement that you're not, that's not conscious. Right. Uh, and I broke some of my trophies while sleepwalking at some point. You know, you get a bunch of little basketball and soccer trophies, and I just, I guess, pushed them off a, off a desk. Wow, that's not your subconscious talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, I didn't care about the gold. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, yeah, I'm wondering because, like, I'm hearing you talk about being the goalie and like yawning through the whole thing or like whatever. And like, also at the same time, hearing you say that you didn't really have like a, not that you didn't have a say, but that you were kind of put into those sports and into those like ways of movement mm -hmm. that maybe you didn't necessarily like resonate with. And I wonder if there's like some kind of like connection with that. Maybe not, but. Maybe, I I think in that case, it was because they were really early games and kids shouldn't get up at 7 a.m. Sure. That Maybe they should. I don't know the science of it. <laughs> I did enjoy soccer. I don't think I, I never enjoyed conditioning, but soccer still is on one of the only ways I really like to run. Mm. Like that will, I will force, because it's my mind is on something else is on getting that next ball and it was one of my first experiences looking back with with flow with like proper flow and this way of getting so out of my body but just not knowing why I was following an instinct but clearly if I heard it then I could follow it and good things would happen and I could still remember one particular competitive game when I was in seventh eighth grade that I got this itch in my head and I'm like I should sprint down to the right even though the play hadn't quite developed yet and I held back for a second because I was lazy. But then after like about a second, second and a half, I thought I should just listen to it. So I started sprinting and the ball came right to where I expected. I put up the foot, but because I was that half second late, I hit the outside of the post. Mm. But it was really, it's always been interesting to look back at that moment as like, that's kind of what flows. It's taking all that information subconsciously and processing it at a rate that you can't but because you have all the hours you have all and you're now in a natural state and I had the conditioning to do it I just didn't want to push myself right so because after that it's fine I just walk back but you got to catch your breath and I don't like that part <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's always the hard part yeah. and so that's that's interesting that's like would you say that that's kind of the first moment that you experienced flow like maybe now that you have a name for it I don't think it's the first moment I experienced it but it's one of the first I can recall mm. that I can look back at uh surely I have experienced it at some point in karate uh probably before that and probably in other because when I was thinking about what movement encompasses movement adjacent or like chess right is that sure, like, kind of like totally. surely there's been moments it's any of that skill challenge right. line where it's like I, you're pushing yourself within what you're capable of, but not too, not too far that it's impossible, but not so lightly that it's boring. And there's plenty of activities that I just don't come to mind right now. But 
similarly I grew up doing before playing more competitive basketball soccer it was a summer camp called I think I don't know ask my mom I have the notes yeah but we would play a bunch of different sports throughout that uh oh. basketball and even when the basketballs were smaller I remember that it's so a surely similarly playing kickball tetherball anything on the blacktop with my friends in elementary school there must have been moments of flow back then that I did not acknowledge but now I can name them and the reason that that soccer moment stands out so much is because it felt like something outside of myself like I didn't consciously know why I felt I needed to do the thing I did but once I did it and I acknowledged that I should have listened to it from this very beginning then I would have scored a goal Mm. that always stood out to me because it's sometimes the failures make it more apparent yeah definitely so like listening to like reflecting back on that it's like oh if I had listened to that I could have run ahead and done this and whatever and then that kind of did that ever help you like in the future? Like what did you, did you ever get that feeling again, like playing soccer or any other sport? I've had that plenty of time playing soccer. There's a particular moment I remember with playing with Simone and Bogdan in uh, intramurals and a few moments of flow, but I remember scoring a bicycle kick goal on a, one of those small goals, That's just cool. running across and he kicks into the center. I catch it with the chest pop up and you go back and, those moments just stand out. Those It's always just nice that you hold on to those. And that's where a lot of my friends still who continue to play soccer. I'm sure that's what, I don't know if they're chasing it, but it's that's what's fun. It's right. you, Even if you don't have the words to articulate it, it's now that I've looked into flow and I'm really interested in that. Another one that I remember, snowboarding. Uh, because of the way I had studied the precursors of flow or read up on it uh, through different books, I knew what I had to do to get better. And so I remember this idea that it's the adrenaline that builds up. It's not the adrenaline itself, It's but that's a precursor. And so once you find the calm outside of the, after the adrenaline and then relax into it. So I remember being at the top of a mountain and I'm not a great snowboarder, but it's still on that edge of what I'm capable of before that particular mountain. And so waiting for the adrenaline to subside a little bit, but just trusting that it would and then throwing myself down it and then being able to, you know, slightly improve my skill. Right. Right. Yeah. And I know like part of flow is like, you remember everything, but also you don't really remember everything. It's like kind of a blackout and it's kind of like, you're really in it. Like you're very present. So I'm wondering like in those moments of flow, it sounds like you have like a very clear memory and picture kind of of what happened. I don't know how well I can remember exactly uh, yeah, there's it, it cements a memory in your head, and then memories are fickle things, right? right. We make them up all the time. So, sure. I there's somewhere between yes, I definitely remember the moment itself or how it made me feel or the growth that came with it. It's flow is super interesting, and there's books I'd definitely recommend around it, but I don't think I qualify to talk about it in that much detail. Sure, sure. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I am thinking of like a moment that I is very clear in my head when I was dancing with AOV, of course, but Mm -hmm. just like on stage. And it's like, I don't exactly remember what I was doing, but I remember being like very present and like being able to just see everything really clearly and know where I was going next and do what I was doing. And so that's kind of like, it's like, what is that quote? It's like, people don't remember what you said. They remember how you made them feel. <laughs> it's yeah. like the same with movement. Like, I don't yeah. know what I was doing, but I remember how I felt. And it felt yeah. really good. So we've had plenty of those moments dancing as well. Like when my cousins were teaching me all the spins. You <laughs> yes. Know? Yeah. 
totally. Yeah, that's kind of an interesting idea of like connecting to other people through flow too. Cause like that's totally a thing. And like contact mm-hmm. improv, that's like a huge like piece of it. Yeah. Right. Movement within not just the uh, individual context, because there's a lot of more movement we can get into that I do now more that might be more solitary, but a lot of those were team sports and te- like group flow is a much it's a super interesting experience and embodied. You can get that at church. You can get that, of course, playing soccer or at more extreme levels, uh, being on a group skydive. Ooh, yeah, that would that would be a lot for me to handle. <laughs> <laughs> um Okay. Yeah. And so, um, so that was kind of up. So the sports side of things was kind of like up through college ish. And then it correct me if I'm wrong, but after college is when you found like more acrobatic and kind of like soft parkour, not soft parkour, but soft acrobatic. <laughs> soft acrobatic <laughs> parkour. Yeah. Um, during college, I don't remember what kind of, I guess we were biking a lot, Yeah. but movement wise, I don't think I, I played some soccer. I just wasn't as filled with extracurriculars in the same way. Uh, after college, it was... When Sorry, I, I want to interrupt you there because mm-hmm. I'm curious about that. Like, was that by your choice not to be involved with as many extracurriculars or like compared to like your childhood? And then now you're in this place where you can like make those decisions for yourself. Like, was that a conscious thing or did that just kind of like happen? I think there's a lot to balance in college. That's yeah, probably a big totally. part of it. Uh even if I didn't have as many jobs as you, there was some all things I had to do. There's yeah, like course. all the studying. There's uh, of course socializing. And then I do regret not taking as much advantage of something like the adventure club where you could go outdoors. And, but I remember that's where I learned about slacklining, which is another incredible way to get into flow real quick, because with slacklining, you're either present or you fall, right? There's, you're either just very on the rope and it's appropriate to talk about the, the trip, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Um, so it's like, for context we just finished up a cross-country road trip and being at memorial uh monument valley and you know it's nice to get back on a rail and just rail walking there and being able to feel comfortable turning around and walking up and down that until the ranger tells me to get down <laughs> <laughs> but you know he liked it yeah. <laughs> he was entertained <laughs> Yeah. Okay, cool. No, that makes sense. Yeah. And it's definitely not like a comparison thing. You know, it's like, I know I worked a lot, but you worked a lot. You worked too. And sure. you did a lot. You, you did a lot. Mm. You tutored and that, the whole thing, right? You like worked with kids. Oh, uh, yeah, you're right. I, yeah. I, I, oh, I can forget that. <laughs> right. Worked at the radio station and you did a lot. the music club yeah. and all that. Yeah. So you just filled your time with stuff, other stuff that you cared about. It was always extracurriculars. Yeah. yeah. I guess it just wasn't movement. And it wasn't uh, as much back to back. I definitely wouldn't intentionally pack my schedule in the same way of I have an hour here then an hour there and there's just more time socializing right yeah no that makes sense okay so then after college you move back up to the bay Mm -hmm. and then what happens so I can't remember surely I must have played some soccer when I got back uh, with my dad and his friends that all the people who knew me from when I was a kid and at some point I knew I wanted to move to Berkeley. And when I moved, I'd seen this parkour gym before athletic playground in Emeryville. And I considered going out, but while I was still in San Ramon, it just seemed like too much of a mission. So when I moved to Berkeley, that was kind of the first thing I did is I got a membership. And back then the membership was super cheap. It was $150 a month for unlimited classes and open gym, which is insanity. Cause right now a $25, $25 to $30 class or private you know 
not private lesson, just a lesson in almost any movement uh, group, whether it be dance or that's the average 25. So I, I was working as a tutor, which meant my workday started at about 3.34 p.m. when kids were off of school and I'd work until, depending on the day, 7, 8, 9, 10. So I had all morning from whenever I decided to wake up until 3 p.m. to just go to the gym. So I would be taking maybe five, seven classes a week. And that really accelerated my learning. I'd be doing flexibility, aerial, silks, acrobatics. Uh, parkour was the first thing I did. I, that's what I was excited about during this trial week. Uh, my teacher, Jason, I still remember, who has moved down to Miami now, uh, just getting me getting me moving and getting like building these interesting courses and just throwing my body in ways that I was comfortable with onto giant mats, which then it then develops later. I continue to do that. I was looking at doing programming, but I got so interested in this and I thought I'm young and I need to take advantage of my body in the moment before I maybe don't have a chance to do that and establish a good movement practice. So I put that off to start working with, kids at the athletic playground I would teach uh, as an assistant first for just youth classes then eventually I got my own parkour class for adults and that was the last thing that happened before the pandemic hit uh, I'd had it for maybe a month two months Ugh. I was excited and so then getting pushed to train outdoors uh, a lot scarier because I hadn't done that and you think that's kind of the point of parkour but I eventually started just like pushing myself more outdoors and at this point I haven't done as much recently but at that moment landing on concrete landing on hard ground and just getting up and kind of shaking it off and that mental gain once we got back in the gym we would throw things that were way harder because we already knew if we if we ate it outside eating it on a mat's nothing mm. but it's just it was just a very big mental jump from training strictly indoors to training outside to then back indoors mm. I it seems like there was like a pretty intentional like turn towards this practice as like something that you like wanted to do in your life, especially like going to teach the classes and whatever before the pandemic. Um, and that feels very different than like the movement practices that you were doing before. And I'm wondering if you can talk about that a little bit. The intentionality of choosing... I guess parkour is always, so climbing trees is always something fun, right? Uh, I'm allergic to grass, which is awful. I, <laughs> I roll around and then I start itching immediately. So I'm always walking that balance, but just climbing stuff, climbing rocks, going go, going camping or wanting to scramble up a, the face of something or just kind of how soccer makes me okay with running and exhausting myself in that way because it's inherently enjoyable. Similarly with like, I don't know if it's the dis the excitement of exploration discovery, but just uh, it makes me very present to be scrambling up a rock wall or climbing a tree or jumping off something. And so when I heard of parkour, I knew exactly when I heard of classes for it that I would approach it in a safe way as opposed to look, watching a YouTube video and trying to learn a backflip on a mattress. Right. And <laughs> I I knew that's what I wanted to do, and it was the most fun way to exercise because I was at first looking more for a way to train my body and get in shape I wasn't happy with where I was physically and that that was a, a way to just get started now it's kind of changed shape into movement practice as a lifestyle or if anything it is a 
it's a deeper philosophical practice right it's yeah. like it doesn't it it's completely entangled with existence right. um like i am because i move not just because i think mm. yeah so the intentionality of the practice is definitely changed even if it started as something that i don't want to go to i i to quote mark wildman a norm core gym <laughs> it was just like a big box gym with you know the weights it's like those are fun now i haven't i just recently started working out at those um a year ago maybe but that was after having not really touched a squat rack since high school wow yeah wow and you just like you just brushed the little surface with us about the philosophy your philosophy or whatever with movement and mm -hmm. its entanglement with life and yeah. now i'm gonna ask you to talk a little bit about that <laughs> i can talk a lot about it i can yeah. check my notes yeah. <laughs> the i just started actually a I was telling him about this, a repository for kind of all the different frameworks I refer to a lot. Uh, the, I guess there is, within the philosophy I'm interested in, there is absurdism at the core of it, right? I used to say I was agnostic in name, apathetic in action, absurdist at heart. <laughs> or another one I like is uh, loving, playful reverence. Which used to be irreverence, but I've changed. <laughs> <laughs> He's a new man. Yeah. <laughs> a new bear. The philosophy. I picking uh, talking about Ida Portal because uh, I have discussions with Mike, who I hope will come on this podcast at some point about about him. But there's still some philosophy from him I I've liked a lot, and this idea that the Descartian split of mind body is is a false one. Mm -hmm. uh, that dichotomy of uh i think therefore i am it's the brain and the body the mind like the mind and the body are two sides of the same coin and i don't see one side because it's in motion i see both i I'm, keep spinning <laughs> <laughs> yeah the i guess it, it the philosophy can go a lot of ways so i it'd be fun to have that discussion but what what can i get more into yeah i you already mentioned like kind of the presence Mm -hmm. um or like mindfulness I guess aspect of it so maybe if you can share a little bit about that yeah that's Eckhart Tolle right it would, the only thing that exists is the here and the now and that's all I can live in that's what anxiety is worry about the future and depression for about the past that's that's not true but that's some some, <laughs> some cute quote uh and I like a lot of the Buddhist philosophy of just uh mindfulness of I know other people on your podcast have talked about it but the work of finding your breath and being here that I think it's a trans it's in transcendental meditation or no it's in uh, vipassana that idea of uh, when I breathe in I know I'm breathing in when I breathe out I know I'm breathing out mm -hmm. um, you know you could do that with mantras you could do but I think that just that calm that like I'm not worrying about something else I'm not in my head and it can be a practice to do that through meditation to sit and breathe and try to, I liked the headspace app. This, they have a ton of metaphors on there, but one of the ideas is that it's like taming a wild horse is you don't force it in. You toss a rope around it and then you slowly shorten the rope so that it naturally kind of comes to a stop. Mm. Uh, but that's a whole work. But then if you just spin around and circle until you get dizzy, you're no longer in your head. You're just, trying not to fall over it's <laughs> <laughs> movement is a much quicker way to access that sort of meditation 
um, the way a lot, there's a large list of things you could do to try to get into it. Uh, what is it? Um, I can't remember the term from stealing fire by it's um, this idea of being outside of yourself, hmm. like an experience of which ties in hand with flow, but sure. yeah. And perhaps surely, I don't know if enough about Buddhism or meditation, but surely there's something similar to that, right. Of a out of body experience of a, we can go ego death. <laughs> <laughs> Ego's dead. Why are you talking about yeah. it so much? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, that was, that's really cool. And I'm just thinking about like, especially once you get into like parkour and like acrobatic stuff, it's like, you kind of have to be breathing all the time. And if you're not like, you know, like you breathe in on the whatever and breathe out right. on the this. And it's like, if you're not doing that, you're not going to get the movement. So it's like, it right. does require like a lot of, presence like yeah that's it's always funny when somebody throws that into an intense as something as simple as a flexibility class where you think okay i'm just gonna go relax and stretch but if you go there's a border between i'm going to uh you know kind of relax into my body and feel like child's pose or something like that to i'm going to take a contortion class there's that spectrum right and so they say you know let's flex your hamstrings and put your head down try to reach with your chest try to bite your toes try to reach underneath your uh uh, arches and also remember to breathe because <laughs> you realize you're holding your breath the whole time yes yes I've even I've had people in my classes shout out to Jody, but she um would be like in the class and whenever I would say like breathe she'd be like how <laughs> like, this hurts like how am I supposed to do that but it's like yeah it's like bringing that presence and that yeah. awareness to what your body's experiencing right. and so it's like if you're even able to have that awareness that you're mm -hmm. not able to breathe like that's good that's a start <laughs> right the awareness is a start and then actually doing it is next level right. like the getting into a backbend is fun and then once you're once you settle into the idea that the pain isn't really pain, it's discomfort, and it can actually be pleasurable once you push through it, then in a really deep back bend, and then inhaling, exhaling when your lungs are so, you know, your stomach is stretched and you're pushing against your rib cage, that feels really good. And you start to just count the seconds, try to increase that. I like the Muhammad Ali thing of I don't start counting, like push it, for example, I don't start counting until they hurt because those are the only ones that count. Mm. Yeah, totally. And I'm wondering, like, you have this philosophy now that was kind of like, it sounds like in your life, and then also in your movement, which is like one and the same is what I'm hearing. <laughs> but like, did one of those start to develop before the other one? Chicken and egg? I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think the intellectual philosophy at least consciously developed before the movement, and then the movement informed the philosophy and developed in a different way right right it like i think whatever dumb thoughts i have wouldn't be as coherent or uh they wouldn't resonate as much with myself was it not because i was in my body as frequently or exercising that or seeking that direction so it definitely one i think it's made me more i don't know if positive is the word uh i mean embodied is quite literally the word but that doesn't quite communicate because it's it's oh I'm more getting at that there is this there is this distinction that if you're not up and moving right now then it's if you're not there's only so much you can do to communicate verbally about movement before you have to move so it's a 
it, it's do you think we're close <laughs> i think we nailed it <laughs> yeah you can't reconcile um the philosophy of movement with it you just have to move right it's a completely different language it's mm. similarly with learning different languages yeah that's another type of movement that is you slap yeah. that tongue around and <laughs> <laughs> learn in french yeah. <laughs> um yeah okay that makes sense and so so the philosophy kind of like developed beforehand was there a reason you were looking to develop the philosophy or that was just the philosophy of movement no not even of movement just just like life right I because I was like 12 years old with existential crisis and I just naturally lost religion and I was in a play I, I would I was gifted with uh whatever natural intelligence as well as like you know the nature and nurture so a a lot of care and love in my upbringing um with the space to actually sit down and think about whatever I wanted to uh and my mom might say not always because I was given the space but because I couldn't concentrate on the task at hand like she'd always say I'm on the moon So, (laughs) so maybe because my mind wandered and I couldn't pay attention but it was I also was I was sheltered a bit in that I didn't have as many chores as a lot of my friends or I don't know. There's, there's, there's that balance of nature and nurture. I remember there was a study they did. My mom said I was at Stanford, I think, and just probably some psychology study. A but, study on you? Um, not on me particularly, oh. but I was a subject. I was one of the people participants. That's cool. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that. And they put like, I guess some treat or some toy in front of me. And the idea is to see how people react. And instead of like most kids who just launch at the toy I just kind of sat there and looked at it for a little bit <laughs> I don't Aww. I don't know much more detail on that and she wasn't able to find anything uh, mm-hmm. when I've asked her in the past but that being some amount of nature obviously because I don't think you teach a kid that at that age uh, so I was always more reserved more I was always a quiet crier as opposed to someone <laughs> who makes a big scene uh, so all of that I had more time to think and sit and that basically took me to an existential crisis at the age of 12 uh, or younger. And so I lost religion. And I kind of just kept going to the CCD because I, I didn't want to tell my parents. I felt, I felt guilty. I felt like <laughs> I just wanted to, I was very non-confrontational. I just wanted to go along with whatever made things easy. And so that philosophy kind of sat with me of this, this nihilistic existence for easily five you know, maybe 10 years. Uh, And then later in college, I found different things that kind of took me out of that space and put me in on a different path, a different philosophy. And it would be lovely if I didn't need a philosophy, but I can't escape my brain fully, which is why I spin in circles. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. No, it's like, it's almost a philosophy to like bring you back from the moon or to like bring you just <laughs> just to be here <laughs> yeah exactly get away from the existentialness of life mm-hmm. that's a word right that's what you're wearing a shirt i've screen printed which has sisyphus on it uh, the myth of sisyphus by albert camus the idea that the best we can do is imagine sisyphus happy as he eternally pushes the rock uphill you know you just have to find meaning in the work and so those will be available on sale. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, plug it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. So okay. So then you started to figure out like your life philosophy. Graduate from college, you start your movement, and those find a place kind of together. Yeah, I think 
so looking back, we always paint with broad strokes and I don't know at what point um, the philosophy started getting more because so the quote I gave earlier of loving, playful irreverence, that was kind of my response to to existential nihilism is I needed to find something and I need to find it for myself, not anywhere else. And maybe any maybe everywhere else is the answer. Maybe it's not in, you know, maybe Maybe I don't know the question. Almost but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, just going to sprinkle in a bunch of inside jokes from the past yeah, seriously. 10 years I've known you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's, and there's still so much time to talk about the trips oh and God, all that, if we can get there. Um, so trying to reconcile, I guess at some point people introduced, like, I think it was actually, it wasn't George Carlin specifically. It was a lot of people I've met, but I liked George Carlin's idea that either um, there's no there's no laws or there's all the laws, you know. And he's like, I prefer the idea that there's no laws. I can do whatever I want, and if you don't like it, you have the right to kill me. <laughs> it's, it's that's not the answer either. Uh, <laughs> at least not to whatever question we're not asking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but this idea of to switch from loving, playful irreverence to no, everything is sacred, and that's where you find you know god is in everything we went to salvation mountain and you know i was saying it said god is love and no it's love is god mm-hmm. it's a or it's a mathematical equivalent i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah so making the switch to everything is sacred mm-hmm. how how so to so i can be transparent because i feel like it um so I I think I dealt with depression for and it never diagnosed and so I don't want to not that it's competition but I don't want to like give advice or uh, be a point of reference for people who might be struggling with that but this was my experience with it and I think it wasn't painting in broad strokes but it wasn't until I went back and read Michael Pollan's How to Change Your Mind that I kind of became able to articulate some of the things at least I think may have taken place so in his in that book, he talks about this idea of the entropic brain theory, which is that mental illness can lie on a spectrum from highly organized, such as PTSD, OCD, depression, where you're in very specific thought loops and patterns that are impossible to break, to highly scattered, such as schizophrenia. And when people are in a highly organized pattern, an experience of awe can break that for a bit because it gives you something that doesn't fit in your existing framework. Mm -hmm. And so in trying to reconcile that, you are forced to find, you're forced to look at new patterns, new options. So to, to, to recap from that, basically I think sitting alone in my room for whatever period of time doing homework, not being able to pay attention and, you know, thinking, okay, everything they're telling me about religion doesn't make sense because I ask really basic questions and they have really dumb answers. And so okay, I don't believe in God. What do I believe in? And ob- objectively, the answer became nothing. It's like life is objectively meaningless, which I now completely disagree. Well, objectively is the whole thing. But <laughs> but life is meaningless. I completely disagree with now, right? Yeah. I, I have a series of meanings that I keep track of. Right. But, <laughs> and it's every single one that if you want to add more, you know, it's just uh, you walk down the street and that guy, that's one of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that kind of pattern thought loop that was a big root of my depression of not being able to break out of this idea that every day I'd be thinking like what's the point and why 
why? And, you know, quite, quite frankly, the, there have been other experiences of awe, but the quickest way has been of uh, like psychedelics or, um, so the first time I smoked marijuana, like there is the is serotonin, dopamine, whatever that gets released and that, you know, it maybe momentarily puts you in a new space, but also it's, I, I do think it's more so the experience of awe that breaks you out of that. And so experimenting with psychedelics in college and then finding that there were times where I just would be able to look at all the things that formed me and, and decide, oh, those are not frameworks that I agree with. They are kind of these preconditioned patterns that come from other people, from other people's, um, not the not inspiration, but influence. Right. And so then deciding, okay, one, that doesn't make sense for me because I don't believe in that. If I can stop believing, like, and this goes back to the ego death thing, right? Why you're talking about it so much if you actually, if your ego is dead, <laughs> <laughs> it is non-identification. Is when you have an experience that intense, then there is no you. There is just the observer that you kind of identify with, but you know that there's no identity to it. Uh, at least was my experience and the experience of many other people I've talked to. So that kind of put me in a place where I had more reverence to, to make that shift. It was, you see how every, you hear this idea from Buddhists, from people who meditate or from people who are enlightened, sure. that everything is connected, but embodiment is a different level of belief and feeling that I said, okay, this is, even if you go back to ground level afterwards and you're not there all the time, you've seen it and you know, that's possible. And mm. such a big part of one of the meanings of life is to show people what's possible. So <laughs> that's beautiful. Yeah. So going, going into college, doing those things, um, and then finding something that would, that made me like, believe that just, oh, there's more, there's, it's not that I, I was dismissing it in this kind of, there's a, there's a meme of existential nihilism where on one hat, you know, like, what do you think? And it's just the guy crying in the corner and the other, it's just like all bright colors, right? With the oh, spinny top hat. Cute. It's like, nothing matters. Oh no, nothing matters. <laughs> it's, you find it for yourself. But I think breaking that down, just I, the experience of awe, it made me appreciate everything. And so that was a state of mind. I then worked to solidify and I think what happened I've I collect all these quotes from throughout my life from different books I read or that was kind of the I call it the scaffolding that I kind of my whole consciousness roots around right like I try not to identify too strongly with anything but that is kind of where I root in like whether I believe something or not and like I just accumulation of quotes and thoughts I've had myself and I thought that I think I realized the psychedelics were helping me at first and they did, but then they, once you've had that experience, it would kind of just, because it keeps breaking it down, then I no longer, I no longer was gaining from it. It was just going against the work I had to be doing, which mm. was just doing the work, just sitting down, being present with myself in a quiet room and um, moving and doing all the things that the doctor says you're supposed to do like getting sunlight and drinking water <laughs> and more complicated houseplant <laughs> yeah so the, it, it was a journey but 
I think going back to just what shifted that irreverence to reverence, it's like that appreciation for like, oh, everything is sacred. Like it's it's either one or the other. I because I live in extremes. It's either you could see it as nothing, but it's much more rewarding to see it as everything is. It's like the um, the life of Pi. If you yes, you know the <laughs> what what story is more like fully like. Which one do you like more? Yeah, which story do you like more? Yeah. The one where there's a god. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. Wow. Wow. That was beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, oh, wow. And to quote, like a quote that you always say, because I don't remember quotes the way you do, <laughs> but uh, you said something like the first trip is the only real one or something. After like, that, you're only confirming what's been revealed. Yeah. I think, I, I think that's uh, from... The band tool i don't know nice. actually i don't that might i might be making that up i don't know but... think so. <laughs> yeah. yeah beware of wisdom yeah <laughs> that's a good one yeah it's a new one okay so yeah so you have this like new kind of perspective and new outlook on life or not not new it sounds like it kind of took time to mm-hmm. get to where you are now yeah and where are you now right so Coming from college, it was all of that, reading that book post-college and understanding what must have, at least in the broad strokes, what I think happened of going through these thought loops, breaking it with experiences of awe, then establishing a scaffolding, accidentally breaking that scaffolding multiple times and being like, okay, let's stop doing that. And let's How just did focus you do that? On, How did you break the scaffolding? Um, or not breaking it, but I, I mean, just like you said, the first trip being the experience uh, oh, and then, and then being like, okay, this actually isn't adding to my life anymore. It's like, it's already added. And now I just have to do the work mm. now that I can quote unquote see clearly, right? right. Or like okay. um, understand what it is that is in front of me. Understand, right. like, be more willing to sit with my own insecurities and mm. um, the difficulties. And I, we watched Midnight Gospel, which is a great recommendation for everyone. Yeah, the idea that I think I saw that and there was so many good meditation and uh kind of like you could see that the core of that there is there is a peace there's an inner peace and I wasn't ready to do the work but at some point after a lot of turbulence I was like okay I'm ready to I am ready to sit in a room quietly with myself and not go crazy and so after college right going to find acrobatics and parkour and then more recently you're asking where I am now uh it's clowning right <laughs> it's uh <laughs> Finding, knowing that there was something in all of this circus stuff, but not knowing exactly what it was. And at some point, while looking for circus related books, that was, that's a really fun when you find your niche and then going into a bookstore and asking about it, they always say, that's a good question. Um, finding circus and then going into a bunch of different bookstores in different countries as well and asking if you have any books about circus and people you know, they, they like a good question because they haven't had to actually think for, you know, what's a, I don't actually know that I've never been a bookkeeper, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I imagine they get a lot of where's this pop book, you know? Mm-hmm. So one of those I found the everyday acrobat or the ordinary acrobat introduced clowning as one of the practices in there that I'd never really taken too much consideration to because I, you get the idea of a red nosed clown as the typical thing. And they made it seem like such a deeper philosophy, like such a such a vulnerable practice of having to be so unbelievably present like a dog is. Like there is no past or future. There is only, I am going to try to make you laugh. 
And when you laugh, I will find the thing I did and I repeat it until you stop laughing. And then when you stop laughing, I'll get despondent and then I'll react in real time to all of your reactions. And it's, there is just the ever devolving infinite play, which is another, I got the, I got the list of, <laughs> of, of philosophies we can talk about, but so clowning interested me. So I took a clown intensive, uh, a week long thing in San Francisco at the church of clown with Dan Griffith and Thank you to him. Thank you to all the people who I practiced with who were fantastic. It was, I did one improv class before then just to see what it was about. And I liked it. It's fun. They give you prompts for how to interact in these kind of weird ways or just to make scenes or whatever, or come up with characters. But three hours for five days straight was a lot more intensive and is more clown focused. It was more free even. Mm. So one of the standouts from that practice, one of like the standout exercise, I think, was called emotional scales, where they would say on a scale of zero to 10, we're going to practice these emotions. We'd stand in a circle. He said, these are your crayons as a clown. You're going to have these in your pocket at all time, be able to pull them out whenever you need. They can, they will be joy, sadness, fear, and anger. And then he would say, stand at zero at neutral. And now at a level one, which is just in your eyes, show me joy. Okay, now at a level two, it takes over your entire face, join all your face. At level three, you find the emotion of, you find the breath of the emotion. So what does joy feel like in the breath? And then we go up through scale four to 10 and you're just super exaggerated and then snap it back down. Do the same thing for anger, fear, sadness. And then he said, of course, there's always levels beyond 10. There's 20, there's whatever you level you want to take it to. There's the most exaggerated version of that emotion. Uh, defining clowning is complicated and listen to you've been frustrated just trying to hear me over the past few months try to find out what it is but in that after that it was okay joy three uh, anger seven uh, sadness two and how quickly can you go from embodying one emotion to another at different levels and just jumping around like that so I thought that was a super interesting practice in a much deeper philosophy that is an entirely different series of podcasts yes. uh, for clowning. So <laughs> that's where I'm at now is trying to explore what that can offer to this idea of presence, because it is, it is not like another art form like theater where it's, you're performing for someone, you are performing for someone, but you're not, there's no imaginary force fourth wall. We break that down right away. I'm there with you the entire time and you're, your presence is the reason I'm there. I'm trying to engage with you. Mm. And so there's the Oscar Wilde quote of, I put only my talent in my work. I put all my genius in my life. Mm. I'm sure maybe I'll go into clowning as a practice for performance, but it's more what can I glean from it to help me live a more embodied present life? And how can clowning be my default? How can how can that be the new philosophy? You know, one of the main things I pursue is just stop thinking. There is no thought. There's just, I, I'm here with you. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea that clowning was like so present. Like I didn't, I don't know. I guess it makes sense when I've seen clowns because they are like very reactive in the moment. And it's just, it's interesting. There's a lot, mm -hmm. there's a lot going on there, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but wow. Yeah. I, you're awesome. You just have so much wisdom, which I have to be aware of. Be aware of wisdom. <laughs> um, wow. I, this has been like really, you've, you've had, you've shared a lot. You shared some good, 
stuff here i think yeah we got hours more we could do oh my gosh easy yeah, yeah i think so um i don't even know what time we started but i feel like we'll start wrapping it up here okay um wow okay so clowning and so now you're going to focus on that um is there anything that you're like looking forward to any like where can people find you you mentioned the t-shirts don't find me <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah you'll link to my instagram i'll i played with the idea of print screen printing more of those to sell or give out so that's probably something i'll do um i'm not trying to plug anything i'm gonna look into clowning in la because i've heard that there's a big hub for that um but yeah there's there's a lot to look forward to and there's a lot more movement to explore and uh yeah okay thanks yeah. don't find them don't look for them but if you want to if you're down to clown in la <laughs> come through <laughs> um and as a final kind of question if somebody was out there listening to this and they're like struggling with thought loops or depression and they i don't know we're looking for some kind of something Mm-hmm. What would you want to tell them? Yeah, spin in a circle. Like I like where you stick your arms out and you try to see how fast you can go. Maybe you can look up if you want, or you can close your eyes. Those are both good methods. Uh, yeah, get dizzy. Get dizzy. Uh, follow vertiginous Mike <laughs> for more tips. No, <laughs> uh, like I, I've been. I will talk to Mike because I want to get him on this. But that idea of vert- vertigo, right? It's when you are discombobulated when you are uh, literally when the stuff in your ear is like not letting you see straight or you're feeling like you're falling over maybe that's a little uncomfortable but you're also just not going to be in a thought loop hmm. or go see the grand canyon i don't know seek an experience of awe. there's what are your means right like i like other people have said you can find your breath it there's a lot of ways to try to get out of your head shake yeah right any of those practices run into a wall right yeah run into a wall (laughs) yeah yay okay cool well thank you bruno that was awesome i feel like you shared like a lot of really cool insights and tips and i got to learn some stuff about you that i didn't know so that's kind of fun yeah um and shocking because i've just known you for so long so (laughs) (laughs) any final thoughts um make love not war they have <laughs> you heard it here people all right well thanks for tuning in to another episode of what moves us thank you for tuning in to this episode of the what moves us podcast be sure to like follow and subscribe for more and check out my website at reinamovement.com r-e-i-n-a movement.com Thank you.